Ruth. And then on the back, trying to get the tech to work for us, Nick and Linton and Matthew. Um, then Paul and Adrian and Peter. Welcome. And Peter, who's played along with Josh as we've come on in. Great to have you here. Uh, we're going to pray as we begin and plead that God would help us as we worship this evening. Father, we're really grateful for your many mercies to us. We thank you, our Father, for your blessing and encouragement in the Scriptures as you point us to your Son. And we long, our Father, please, that you would teach us much of him as we gather together and help us worship him aright this evening through the Scripture readings that we have, through our prayers, through the songs that we're able to listen to and hum along to, or if we're at home, sing along to. Please, Father, would you strengthen us as your people through our gathering together. For we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Just to say, if you're tuning in online, it's great to have you with us, whether you're watching this live or a little bit later. And we are pleased that you could join with us this evening. Um, Two other people are on the table. were Malcolm and Kelly, who registered, and Liz, who welcomed us and took our temperatures as we came on in. We're going to read some verses from Psalm 104 together. Please do stay seated. The word's going to come up on the screen as we go. Um, And there are going to be parts for me to say and parts for you to join in with. Basically, I introduce each verse and then there's bits for all of us to say all together. Um, You'll see them come up um, clearly on the screen. So if you have the first screen next, I'm in the blue. Um, If you join with me for the red bits, please. So here's Psalm 104, Psalm How many are your works, Lord? In wisdom, you made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. Together, together, there is the sea, vast and spacious, teeming with creatures beyond number, living things, both large and small. There are ships go to and fro, and Leviathan, which you form to frolic there. All creatures look to you to give them their food at the proper time. When you give it to them, they gather it up. When you open your hand, they are satisfied with good things. When you hide your face, they are terrified. When you take away their breath, they die and return to the dust. When you send your spirit, they are created and you renew the face of the ground. May the glory of the Lord endure forever. May the Lord rejoice in his works. He who looks at the earth and it trembles, who touches the mountains and they smoke. I will sing to the Lord all my life. I will sing praise to my God as long as I live. May my meditation be pleasing to him as I rejoice in the Lord. But may sinners vanish from the earth and the wicked be no more. Praise the Lord, my soul. Praise the Lord. Let's continue in prayer. Father, we do worship and praise you that you are glorious and beyond description. Thank you that you are the God who has made all things. And you sustain all things. Everything in the entire universe stands in your hands and in your sustaining kindness. Thank you that that includes us. Thank you that you give us every breath, a precious gift from you. Father, receive our worship this evening. Enlarge our gaze as to who you are and all that you have done. We give you our worship and our praise this night. Amen. Having read of verses from that psalm that speak of God's immensity and his glory, we're now going to have a song played. And for us in the building, we can um, please reflect on the words. Why not hum along to the tune? Please do not sing. However, we're not allowed to do that. Um, And let's reflect on all that this teaches us about God's immensity and the wonder that he would reveal himself to us in his son, the Lord Jesus. If you're tuning in at home, you can, of course, sing to your heart's content. Thank you. 
immortal invisible God has spoken loud and clear and he does so in the Bible we're going to read the Bible together now um, Alice Skerritt is going to bring the reading for us she's been recorded um, before Peter then comes and preaches for us 1 Samuel chapter 23 if you've not got a Bible and you'd like one um, I will run, run run them round to you in just a second. Um, 1 Samuel chapter 23, or Peter will now. Um, just put your hand up if you'd like a Bible. There's a stash down here at the front. This is on page 295 if you've got one of the church Bibles. 295. And Alice is going to read from verse 1, 1 Samuel chapter 23. Just wait for Peter to get round with the Bibles. Okay, here's Alice with our reading. 1 Samuel, chapter 23, um, reading the whole. The reading is 1 Samuel, chapter 23. When David was told, look, the Philistines are fighting against Cana and are looting the threshing floors, he inquired of the Lord, saying, shall I go and attack these Philistines? The Lord answered him, go, attack the Philistines and save Cana. But David's men said to him, here in Judah, we are afraid. How much more then if we go to Cana against the Philistine forces? Once again, David inquired of the Lord and the Lord answered him, go down to Cana, for I am going to give the Philistines into your hand. So David and his men went to Cana, fought the Philistines and carried off their livestock. He inflicted heavy losses on the Philistines and saved the people of Cana. Now Abiathar, son of Ahimelech, had brought the ephod down with him when he fled to David at Cana. Saul was told that David had gone to Cana and he said, God has handed him over to me, for David has imprisoned himself by entering a town with gates and bars. And Saul called up all his forces for battle to go down to Cana to besiege David and his men. When David learned that Saul was plotting against him, he said to Abiathar the priest, bring the ephod. David said, O Lord, God of Israel, your servant has heard definitely that Saul plans to come to Cana and destroy the town on account of me. Will the citizens of Cana surrender me to him? Will Saul come down, as your servant has heard? O Lord, God of Israel, tell your servant. And the Lord said, he will. Again, David asked, will the citizens of Cana surrender me and my men to Saul? And the Lord said, they will. So David and his men, about 600 in number, left Cana and kept moving from place to place. When Saul was told that David had escaped from Cana, he did not go there. David stayed in the desert strongholds and in the hills of the desert of Ziph. 
Day after day, Saul searched for him, but God did not give David into his hands. While David was at Horash in the desert of Ziph, he learned that Saul had come out to take his life. And Saul's son Jonathan went to David at Horash and helped him to find strength in God. Don't be afraid, he said. My father Saul will not lay a hand on you. You shall be king over Israel, and I will be second to you. Even my father Saul knows this. The two of them made a covenant before the Lord. Then Jonathan went home, but David remained at Horish. The Ziphites went up to Saul at Gibeah and said, Is not David hiding among us in the strongholds at Horish, on the hill of Hakila, south of Jeshimon? Now, O king, come down wherever it pleases you to do so, and we will be responsible for handing, handing him over to the king. Saul replied, the Lord bless you for your concern for me. Go and make further preparation. Find out where David usually goes and who has seen him there. They tell me he is very crafty. Find out about all the hiding places he uses and come back to me with definite information. Then I will go with you. If he is in the area, I'll track him down among all the clans of Judah. So they set out and went to Ziph ahead of Saul. Now David and his men were in the desert of Maon, in the Arabah south of Jeshurun. Saul and his men began the search, and when David was told about it, he went down to the rock and stayed in the desert of Maon. When Saul heard this, he went into the desert of Maon in pursuit of David. Saul was going along one side of the mountain, and David and his men were on the other side, hurrying to get away from Saul. As Saul and his forces were closing in on David and his men to capture them, a messenger came to Saul saying, Come quickly, the Philistines are raiding the land. Then Saul broke off his pursuit of David and went to meet the Philistines. That is why they call this place Sela Hamalekah. And David went up from there and lived in the strongholds of En Gedi. Do keep that reading open. Uh, lovely to be with you. Let me add my welcome to Tom's. Uh, it's great to be with you tonight and online. I uh, hope everything is okay. Are we people with us online? Great. Nice to have you with us. Let's pray as we come to God's word. Father, we just want to ask uh, simply uh, that tonight uh, you would search our hearts as we listen to this narrative of your people under pressure Search our hearts and secure our hearts that we might live full of faith because of what we have heard of you today. Amen. Got a question for you. When were you last afraid? When were you last afraid? What was it that, that caused the fear? What kind of triggered it? Uh, was it something in particular that you were afraid of? And if you were to uh, be, um, if someone shoved a microphone in your face and they would say, tell us, how did it feel? How, how did you feel when you were afraid? And then if someone were to play, kind of play back a video camera, well, what, what did it look like when you were afraid? What, how did you react? What did you say? What did you do? We're talking about fear tonight. And we could, I mean, we could ask anybody here in this room and they would have things they fear, things that have caused the feeling of fear, reasons to fear. Uh, but tonight we're going to think particularly about uh, the fruit of fear, the fruit of fear. Uh, we're in 1 Samuel chapter 23, and we are very much in what David uh, is experiencing right now, the, the wilderness experience is what we started last week. David is on the run, and Saul is on the rampage. And actually, verse 14 of our passage uh, just sums up very neatly what's kind of going on in this whole scene as David finds himself on the run. Verse 14, it's a great summary. Verse 14, David stayed in the wilderness strongholds and in the hills of the desert of Ziph. So there we have David on the run. Carry on. When Saul, oh, no, sorry, <laughs> day after day, Saul searched for him. Saul is on the rampage, on the chase. But God did not give David into his hands. God did not give him over 
in this whole wilderness experience, God has a tight grip on David, despite the fact that he's on the run. But fear thrives and spreads in soil like this, in settings like this, dangerous and difficult. And actually, fear is everywhere in this passage. I don't know if you picked that up as Alice read it. Fear is everywhere, and everyone, almost everyone, seems to be afraid. David is afraid. David's men are afraid. And we're going to see that the people of Kayla and the Ziphites were afraid. And so that gives us two questions that we need to think through today. And it's not just for them. It is for us too. Two questions. The first is this. What comes from fear? What comes from fear? You could call it the the fruit of fear, if you're thinking in gardening terms. What comes from fear? Well, put simply, in a nutshell, self-preservation. That's the answer. That's what what we see in every instance in this scene. Self-preservation is what comes from fear. It takes different forms, comes in different guises, different clothing. It's the same thing. Self-preservation. Firstly, it, it kind of appears in the disguise of paralysis in verses one to six. Uh, we have David, and David is far from paralyzed. If you kind of follow the narrative, uh, he is, um, despite his own very real concerns for, for these, um, well, he, he's on the run from Saul. He's worried. He's threatened. He's got his own problems. But he hears of the people of Caleb who have their own problems. And so he kind of gears up to go to war, to go and rescue these people who are being looted by the Philistines. It seems the people of Kayla were like a bordering town, and occasionally the Philistines would encroach upon territory, steal all their grain, and then go off. Well, David has a real concern for them. He's not paralyzed at all. But his men, well, that's a different matter. Just look down with me, verse 3, the little number 3. David's men said to him, Here in Judah we are afraid. How much more than if we go to Kayla against the Philistine forces? It's like his men are saying, we've got enough trouble as it is, David. Have you not realized we're on the run? Saul wants us. We're on the most wanted list. Why, why would we go chasing more danger to help somebody else? Why would we do that? We're in danger enough here. And at this point, we just need to flag up that, that David has clearly heard from God. In fact, that, that's a consistent mark of David in this passage. He has heard from God, which marks him out as the man of God. He, he speaks to God and God answers. He inquires and God answers. Compare him to Saul. If you've seen anything of King Saul in the past few chapters, Saul hasn't heard from God since chapter 14 of this book. And Saul depends on human messengers, people like Doeg the Edomite, to inform him. Well, David, he's God's man. So he can depend on God. And so... We need to bear that in mind. David is clearly God's man, and he's clearly heard from God. The people of Kayla on the border are clearly in danger. The Philistines are looting and raiding them. But David's men are afraid. They're afraid. And what comes from fear? Well, self-preservation leading to paralysis. This kind of inability to function or move or act properly as they should. They, They don't want to go. David, we've got enough trouble. Why would we go? Well, fortunately for the people of Kayla, this paralysis is momentary. It is overcome with a second word from God. The men are mobilized and they move in. And the people of Kayla are rescued. It's a great victory in verse 5. But we need just to note that this was a, a rescue, a victory, a salvation that could have been prevented because of fear. What comes from fear? First thing, paralysis. But it's not long before Saul gets wind of David's whereabouts. He he assumes, wrongly, that God is basically serving David up on a plate to him. Aha! He's locked himself up in the town. Let's get the army ready. Let's get moving to Kayla. We're going to get him. And even more shockingly, the people of Kayla seem ready to serve David up on a plate. Verse 12, David has heard that there's something afoot. And in verse 12, he says to God, he, David asks, God, will, will the citizens of Kayla surrender me and my men to Saul? 
And the Lord said, they will. They will. What comes from fear? Not just paralysis. In the case of the people of Cala, for, for want of a better word, flakiness. <laughs> flakiness, self-preservation that leads them to, to be flaky. They are afraid, and so they flake away. They're unreliable. They're uncommitted. They're ungrateful. Quick to crumble when the pressure comes. And so they flake away when David needs them most. It's just interesting. Um, the people of Cala, they, they're well up for a savior. But suffering... We don't want to get caught up in this. It's David's problem, not ours. You could say that they're very happy to be saved by David. But suffer for him? Not so much. To be fair to the people of Caleb, they'd probably heard what Saul has just done. At this very moment, just before he arrives on, on the site, he's, being, uh, he's sent his men to the town of Nob, and he has destroyed Everybody. He ordered the deaths of the priesthood of God, men, women, children, animals. One man survives. That's it. And the people of Cala are thinking, Saul's on his way, and we're next. And so they're flaky. And they remind me, actually, of um, the people that Jesus talks about in a parable. Jesus talks in this famous parable, the parable of the soil or the sower, People he describes like seed, the land on rocky soil. They, they spring up quickly and then they wither away just as quickly because the sun comes up and it gets hot and they die. Jesus describes people like this, I think like the people of Cala, as these. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. They flake away. What comes from fear? Well, self-preservation in the form of flakiness. They're not up for that. And it is shocking behavior. We should feel that. But worse even than the behavior of the people of Cala is the Ziphites. Just a little bit further on in our scene, verses 19 onwards. If the people of Cala could be excused for kind of being reactive in their fear, Saul's on his way, uh-oh, the, the Ziphites, well, they're positively proactive in the way that they act. They go to Saul and they betray David. They hand him over. Well, they try to. What does fear lead to? What comes from fear? Well, here, betrayal. Just another form of self-preservation. Read with me, verses 19 to 20. The Ziphites went up to Saul at Gibeah. So they went to him and they said, Is not David hiding among us in the strongholds at Horish on the hill of Hakilah, south of Jeshimon? Now, your majesty, come down whenever it pleases you to do so. And we will be responsible for giving him into your hands. We would be glad to deliver David over to you. It would be an honor for us to hand him over. Because they're afraid of what Saul is going to do. They're caught having not told him and they want to get into his good books. And yet again, we see people looking after number one. And here it leads to betraying God's chosen one. It's outrageous behavior. And many years later, the Jewish leaders would do exactly the same. When they came to Jesus, they thought this man is going to disturb the status quo. This man is going to get the Romans annoyed. This man is going to get our temple and our government stripped away from us. We need to get rid of him. These are the words of Caiaphas, one of the leaders, the high priest, John chapter 11. He says to the people around us, they're kind of plotting, conspiring. You know nothing at all. You do not realize that it is better for you that one man die for the people than that the whole nation perish. What's Caiaphas suggesting here with Jesus? We should betray him to save ourselves. Self-preservation, which looks like betrayal here. What comes from fear? That's what being the question. And in this episode so far, it's not pretty. Paralysis, inactivity, unwilling to do anything, flakiness, 
even when they receive something, they, they, they kind of drop out when it gets hard. And betrayal. They're positively willing to, to hand someone in if it will give them any benefit or good whatsoever. It's very ugly. And what's behind all of it is self-preservation. Variations on a theme, but self-preservation nonetheless. And this fruit shows up everywhere. I wonder if you've noticed that. Consider the workplace. Maybe you have a, a colleague or someone who works for you uh, who is never willing to push themselves or to try anything new uh, because they might fail. That's fear, isn't it? And so they preserve themselves. What about in the home life, the families around our country where dads and mums, husbands and wives, partners, spouses, boyfriends, girlfriends walk out whenever there's a hint of cost or difficulty? Fear of something, fear of hardship, and we preserve ourselves. Self-preservation just rules the roost in many, many ways. And as a church, you'll know that we're, we're not kind of free from that either. Let me just give you one example. I'm sure you could think of others. Um, I say it mainly because I've been thinking about it recently. This, so this week, uh, I've been, I picked up a book uh, called Honest Evangelism by Rico Tice. It was recommended to me by a friend. And it's a cracking book, great read. It's called Honest Evangelism because Rico Tice wants to be honest about the cost of evangelism in a society like ours. He, he talks a lot about um, what you'd call kind of stepping over the pain line. There's a pain line in my conversation where I might want to talk about Jesus, but as soon as I step over it, I'm setting myself up to get hit, mainly metaphorically, but potentially more than that. The point is, he's talking about a pain line in our conversation. Because if I say, Jesus loves you, I think most people would probably just shrug. But to step over that pain line and say, actually, Jesus made you, and he owns you, and he came to rescue you from the future in hell that you deserve for your sins against the holy God. <sighs> You're feeling where paralysis might come into this, yeah? Yeah. <laughs> Do I want to step over that pain line and say that to someone? I'm, I'm scared to even think about saying that. Okay, that's an example. But then even if I do say something like that, well, what's going to happen? Some people might shrug, just ignore it. But most people are going to have some kind of reaction to that. And it might not be pretty. And at that point, when they say, you don't believe that, do you? Might be a bit flaky. <laughs> I'm going to step back over the pain line, preserve myself. Preserve my relationships. I kind of back down, back away, back over the pain line. And in fact, it would be easier for me just to, well, basically betray Jesus, wouldn't it? Yeah, to kind of disown his opinions. Um, to just downplay some of the things that I know I do need to believe, but I don't really want them to know I believe it. Uh, I've felt that. I think I'm guilty of that on the market stool. And then I think there's an added thing for us, is that even if we say we don't do that, when we... Um, we distance ourselves from some of Christ's most outspoken followers. You know, there are those people who are always talking about Jesus. And frankly, you find it kind of embarrassing to be around them because you might be tarred with the same brush. Self-preservation rules. And that's just one area of the Christian life. I'm sure we can think of others. So what are we to do when we see this fruit in our lives? Well, I think firstly, we need to, to seek God's pardon. We need his mercy. We have each sought to save ourselves and not others, not to serve him. And he's to see God's mercy. But as we were hearing this morning, we desperately need God's power as well. If we're going to, going to get rid of this fruit of fear, we need God's help. Fortunately, there is pardon and there is power. And that's what we're going to talk about now. So this fruit needs dealing with. Uh, yeah, we're going to talk about what overcomes fear. Uh, moving to Suffolk, uh, I discovered lots of great things and one not so great thing. Um, in our garden, we discovered something called mare's tail. There's a few nods here. Yeah, I, I, I imagine it is elsewhere in the country. I'd never seen it before, never heard of it. Our garden's got it. Uh, it is a horrible weed uh, that, for one thing, spreads pretty rapidly. It's a spreader. It's also a fighter. It's, I've been told that there's not much hope. And, you know, when you look on the RHS, Royal Horticultural Society, and they say it might take several years and several treatments, um, 
basically good luck with that. This is a tough weed that I'm going to struggle to get rid of. Weed killers won't touch it. It's got a kind of waxy cover on it. It, can, it bounces off. And the roots can go up to like two meters deep. So serious excavation work needs to go on there. He, snapping off the top's not going to do anything. Fear needs to be rooted out, not just kind of tapped on the head. So what overcomes this fear? What overcomes it? Or we could say, well, if that's the fruit, how do we uproot it? That's what we're thinking about. And wonderfully, between these two sections where two people, two groups of people, the people of Kayla and the people of the Ziphites, between them, who are willing to surrender David and to save themselves, we have one wonderful encounter with Jonathan. It's in 19... Uh, 16, 15 to 18, 15 to 18. Whereas the others are willing to surrender David up, Jonathan comes to David to strengthen him. And we don't know how he got there. We don't know how he knew David was there, but we do know what he does when he gets there. And that's what is instructive for us. We see what overcomes fear. This is it. The people of God leading us into the presence of God. The people of God leading us into the presence of God. Verse 16. Saul's son Jonathan went to David at Horesh and helped him to find strength in God. Jonathan, the people of God, makes his way to David and helps him to find strength. Not in himself, you're strong. You've done it before. You'll do it again. Not in himself. Not in his circumstances. Well, things always get better eventually. Just sit it out. Time's a healer. Not necessarily. Jonathan helps him to find strength in God. Literally, these verses read, he helped him, he strengthened his hand in God. Or as one commentator put it, I think it's great. He, as it were, put David's hand in God's hand. What a great way of putting it. He put David's hand in God's hand. Like any um, troubled or scared toddler feels like kind of instantly better when they feel that firm grip of their parent's hand. The fears that you and I have will feel more manageable, less powerful, when we feel the grip of God, God's hand and our hand. And so Jonathan says to David in verse 17, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. My father still will not lay a hand on you. He seems to be referring to a promise God has obviously made that everyone knows about, but is never mentioned once in uh, explicitly in 1 Samuel, that David will be the king. But what is Jonathan doing? He is leading David to God and putting his hand in God's hand the people of God leading us into the presence of God. And we would do well to listen to this. This is a good motto for any one of us who spends any time with other Christians. Leading the people of God into the presence of God and leaving them there. Leading them and leaving them there. I, I'm, there are many in this room, there are many at home who love to spend time with other people in the church who are great at visiting and caring for others. But we can still learn from Jonathan from this, can't we? So our presence with each other will be a great comfort. But guess what? We're going to have to leave at some point. And by the time we leave, by that point where we have to leave, we want to have, been, or have left their hand in God's hand. So that even when we go, just like Jonathan does, and even when we leave them on their own, just like David was, they know they're not alone. Jonathan strengthened David's hand in God. How do we overcome fear? What overcomes it? The people of God leading us into the presence of God. And boy, would they need that. I don't know if you, what feel you got as you read the kind of end of this chapter. It is meant to be read a bit like a Hollywood thriller. You're like on the edge of your seat. Because it's not long before the Ziphites make their treacherous moves. And then David gets wind and has to move on. But he can't quite shake Saul off the tail. It's it's not quite like a car chase through the city, but there's some kind of chase going on. You know? and, and it's dramatic. And, and so this point where if you were an Israelite grandparent, 
Your, your grandchildren, as you tell them this story, would jump behind the sofa and cover their ears, but not quite because they kind of want to hear what happens, but they're terrified and they're biting their nails because what's going to happen to David? I think because we read it here, we just miss. What's the shock here? Verse 26, Saul was going along one side of the mountain and David and his men were on the other side, hurrying to get away from Saul. As Saul and his forces were closing in on David and his men to capture them, David and his men, they look like dead meat. Done and dusted. But wait, there's a shouting, there's a commotion. Verse 27, a messenger came to Saul saying, come quickly, the Philistines are raiding the land. And then Saul broke off his pursuit and went to meet the Philistines. Saul has to break off his pursuit just in time. Now you could call that fate. Could call that sheer luck or coincidence. I think David would call it providence. God's hand moving this, snatched from the jaws of death, snatched from the hand of the enemy just in time. It seems to be that God makes this his pattern. Consider the Lord Jesus snatched from the hand of his enemy, snatched from the jaws of death, snatched from the realm of the grave as he walks out of the tomb. It seems to me that God makes this his pattern just in time. And the rock actually is supposed to be a big reminder. Um, it's a, a long word. And you think, well, why did, why, why did they even bother putting this in? Verse 28. That's why they call this place Selah Hamalekov or something like that. It means a rock of parting. This is the, the rock where just in time there was a narrow escape. It's the rock of narrow escape. Remember. I don't no, and we're not told how David felt on this chase with Saul hot on his heels. We don't know. But imagine how he felt when he saw Saul just suddenly turn on his heels and charge off the opposite direction to the west, to the Philistines, away from me. Another reminder, again, that God has got a tight grip on David just in time. And it was true for David. And it is true for every one of God's people that he will deliver us just in time. That is the privilege of knowing the Lord Jesus, having our God as Father just in time. To show you that, uh, let me just close with a story from Corrie ten Boom. Some, many of you will know of Corrie ten Boom, who is a Christian writer, um, amongst other things. Well, as a young girl, Corrie ten Boom was very anxious and fearful about death in particular, but I think we can take this for anything that we're anxious about. And it's, it's interesting that even as a young girl, she had this fear of death, considering what she would face uh, in Nazi-occupied Netherlands when she was older. But her father told her a story. Corrie, when you and I go to Amsterdam, when do I give you your train ticket? Corrie sniffs a few, few times, kind of wipes away the tears. Why? Uh, just before we get on the train. Exactly, replied her father. And our wise father in heaven knows when we're going to need things too. Don't run out ahead of him, Corrie. When the time comes that some of us will have to die, you will look into your heart and find the strength you need. Just in time. Not any strength she had in herself, but a strength given. We might not have what we need at the moment, but at the moment we need, we will have. Let me say that again. We might not have what we need at the moment, but the very moment we need it, we will have it. We've considered what comes from fear and it's ugly and it ought to be put to death this week. But the only way we're ever going to put that to death, to uproot it, is to uproot fear. Because otherwise we'll constantly be trying to protect ourselves and we won't trust God to do that. And this just-in-time promise will do you the world of good to believe. Let's pray that we believe that this week.
Our Father, we confess the many ways that we don't trust you and try and preserve ourselves. We are scared of pain, of loss, of cost, of people. And we pray that when we are scared, we would look to you, that you would drive out our fear, our self-protection, and you would fill us with faith. We thank you that you have delivered your people just in time, throughout all of time. We pray that you would cause us to throw ourselves into your hands. We thank you that you are our wise, caring father to us. In Jesus' name, we thank you and we pray. Amen. Well, the song we're going to listen to now, and if you're at home, uh, you can sing along to, uh, reflects very much this. It's a song called By Faith. From the very beginning, God's people have never lived by anything other than faith. That is trust in God to do what he said he will do, and he can do it. So listen along, hum along in the building, and uh, may you be encouraged to, to walk and live by faith too. Thank you. 
We're going to turn to pray now um, for various needs for the women in our church, particularly as I think about ladies' Bible study um, up, starting up, uh, amongst other things, and also for the country of North Korea. And bearing in mind that uh, just I think just over a week ago, it was the 75th anniversary of the People's Workers' Party, uh, and uh, they have made life for Christians in particular uh, a complete nightmare, to say the least. Um, so we're going to pray for them as well. So let's bow our heads and pray. Well, Father, we uh, want to thank you uh, for uh, all the women that you have gifted us with in this church. We thank you for every single one of them and uh, um, how valuable and to assure people of your protection. We thank you for uh, the desire to uh, start up uh, Ladies Bible Study more formally after half term. Uh, we do pray that uh, the, the teaching material they go through there would be a real encouragement to each and every one of them. But we want to thank you as well for what's already been going on, uh, for uh, get-togethers um, in different people's gardens and for time spent together there. Thank you for individuals meeting each other and phoning each other. And please, uh, would you grow and um, bless other women in our church through the way that they care for each other. And uh, we want to turn much further afield, Father, to North Korea now. And we can only start by um, grieving the way that uh, your people have suffered in that country in such a, an authoritarian regime where loyalty uh, to Kim Jong-un and his family is uh, demanded, unconditional obedience required, and any sense of allegiance to any other god or faith or creed stamped on savagely. Father, we can't even begin to imagine what it feels like to live in a country like that and we pray that you would sustain our brothers and sisters in that country. I'm told there are uh, estimated 300,000 Christian believers there, and yet each one of them must hold their faith uh, close to themselves, uh, lest they be found out and punished or tortured or killed. We pray uh, that you would protect them in their faith, that you would give them just what they need, in the times that they need it, whether that is strength to confess Christ under pressure, whether that is boldness to witness when someone asks. And whatever they need, please give it to them. And would they know that they are safe in your hands, not safe from danger or pain, but safe for eternity and safe in your kingdom. And Father, we pray materially as well for uh, your, your people in that country and for those poor who um, are deprived of the resources they need. Uh, that country values military might above all and leaves the poor to suffer and starve. We pray that you might use uh, mission agencies like Open Doors to feed and clothe and care for those who are vulnerable and needy. We pray that it might be a real way that they witness uh, in that country um, despite it being shut down as much as possible. So we pray that your kingdom would grow, that your church would be protected uh, against the attacks of the evil one and the world and those rulers, and that you might even remove uh, those who abuse their authority. And all of these things, we thank you that you protect us, you hold us, and you will deliver us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, before we close uh, formally, there are some notices just to bring to your attention um, coming up uh, this week. First thing is to say that there is a, a playlist uh, tonight, uh, as there has been uh, each service we've had, uh, which you can listen to on YouTube. Uh, I've enjoyed humming along. I'll enjoy singing along even more, and you can do that at home. Um, coming up this week, the big thing to flag up to you is that we will be meeting as home groups on Thursday evening. But there will be a difference. It will be home group central. Many of you uh, in the church um, would have got an email about this, uh, a link saying where the Zoom meeting is. We'll be meeting on Zoom at a slightly later time of 7.45 uh, to allow parents as much as possible to get with us on, online. And the idea of home group central is that rather than meeting in our scattered home groups, we come together centrally where we'll have a time all together. We'll have a time in our home groups and we'll have a time uh, in mixed groups uh, to look at the Bible and to pray together and to do it together. It's great to be able to see a whole screen of faces from the church family and think, ah, I haven't seen them for a, a while. 
And so that's the plan for Thursday evening. Daytime home group, uh, you will be continuing at 10.30 on Friday and Roger will be in touch about that too. Coming up then next uh, Sunday, the big thing uh, to note is that clocks go back. An extra hour in bed. I always smirk when that happens because I have young children, so that doesn't mean an extra hour in bed for me. Um, but I'm glad for any of you for whom it does mean an extra hour in bed. But don't forget uh, to put your clocks back, otherwise you'll turn up at church um, definitely at the wrong time. Uh, you can help us set up instead. Uh, those services uh, will be same time, Sunday morning, 9.15 and 11.15 in the morning. 11.15 will be live streamed as usual. It will be a slightly different service in that we'll have all the children in together for an all-age family service where I'll be preaching on Romans chapter 6. Uh, the idea here is um, it'd be nice just to see the children again. We had them for a long time during the kind of restrictions and we'll have all the children back in the building for a slightly different service. And then 6.30 in the evening and in the building and on live stream will continue in 1 Samuel and Malcolm Parsons will be preaching for us as well. And that will be a more formal, adult-aimed service. Uh, two other things, just to, well, actually one thing just to flag up is that, uh, that next Sunday, Tom will be away on holiday, and then I will be away the, the Sunday after that on holiday as well. And so we, we're not shirking our duties, and we're thinking of you, but we'll enjoy some break as well. Uh, that is where we say goodbye to those of you uh, who joined us on live stream. I'm really glad that you got to, to meet, and uh, thank you to the guys doing the internet who got it all sorted out. Let me pray uh, for you and for all of us as we go our separate ways. The words of uh, the Apostle Paul ring true, Father, when we say, who is sufficient for these things? We are aware of many things that we go out to uh, in the week ahead, in our lives, uh, in our hearts, uh, in our timetables, many things we feel weak and ill-equipped for. And yet, if nothing else, Father, we have been reminded that you uphold and sustain and keep a tight grip on your people. So we thank you that we are sufficient for these things in you. Pray that we would know that this week, whatever we find ourselves doing. We ask that for Jesus' glory uh, through his people. Amen. Amen. Thanks for joining us online. Goodbye. See you next week.